Debating the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Friday Face-Off with Quinovic, Wellington's property management experts. Call 0800 Quinovic. It's Friday Seven minutes past 11, Friday face-off for PR specialist and former Chief of Staff to Jacinda Ardern, Neil Jones. Good morning, Neil. Good day, Nick. Well, we haven't spoken since uh, Chris taken taken over, have we? Uh, I came off like 10 minutes at one point about polls showing Luxon down and, and Hipkins doing well, but I haven't been in here in the studio with you. So, I mean, what are you thinking? Well, I've got to be honest, when I first heard Jacinda Ardern was resigning, I thought, oh, that's it, Labor's lost, National's going to roll in. But Chris Hipkins has actually done a really good job, I think, you know, in terms of what Labor needed to do, which was all those policy areas that were dragging them down, where people kind of going, come on, guys, what are you doing? He's managed to sort of wipe some of them away. He's got more to come. And he's focused very much on cost of living, which I think is actually the number one issue voters care about. So I think that has actually put Labor in a really good position. Um, and I think it's kind of exposed Luxon a bit. He's coming under pressure now around their lack of policy. So Luxon's going to have to get out some policy, I think, in the coming months and really sort of show National's got something positive to say. Can I quickly, before I get to Phil, I just want to quickly ask you, do you think it's actually him, Chris, doing these changes himself, or do you think it's his back office powerhouse behind him? Um, Look, I mean, I've been in the back office, so I don't want to denigrate what they do. They're very important. But ultimately, no matter how good your advisors are, if your leader's not up to it, you're not going to get anywhere. And Chris Hipkins is a very smart guy. I mean, he is a political animal. He is someone who thinks very strategically about, about politics, and I think he, he's been probably watching what's happening, analysing what he'd do if he's in charge, and he's seeing that through. Your guest, our other guest on the in the studio today with us is Director of Iron Horse Partners, Phil O'Reilly. Phil, on the converse, to, good morning, firstly, on the converse <laughs> to Chris Hipkins, Christopher Luxon has gone almost a, playing a disappearing act, hasn't he? Well, he had to, of course, because, uh, you know, when tragedies happen, as they have in Hawke's Bay and Northland and Auckland over the last few weeks, uh, it, there's no point in, in hectoring uh, the government. You know, you need everybody needs to support the government. That's what uh, that's what he's been doing, and he'll get back onto that horse in the in the next week or two, I would think, as we start to move towards a more new, normal news cycle. Notice the Nats have arced up a bit over police, over the crime stuff. I think uh, Chris Hipkins stumbled on that, believed the data uh, when in fact uh, that wasn't the experience on the ground. So what you'll see is they'll come back. But I agree with Neil. I mean, now's the time that the Nets are going to stand up with some policy, and I, I think they probably will. Uh, and and the, the challenge that, that Hipkins has now is he's been a prime minister who's walked in, ditched some policies that maybe people cared about, maybe they didn't, but looked like he ditched them. Uh, and then and now he's got the now he's got the, the nation. He's got the high vis on doing the earthquakes. Sorry, doing the uh, cyclone stuff. The cost of living stuff is you have to do something. He can't just say I'm removing our RNZ, TV, and Z image. It's nothing to do with the cost of living. He's got to say what he's going to do about the cost of living, and I think that's where the fight will be. And that's been delayed a bit, I suspect, by the Hawks Bay piece and the, the the cyclone. But that's where the election will be fought. So I think it's all to fight for. It's not surprising to me they're neck and neck. They both got to stand up and, and say something now. He's right, isn't he? Phil's right. Sooner or later, we we want to know when the the pound of butter and the loaf of bread, its price is going to come down. Well, indeed. I mean, Chris Hipkins has been talking about bread and butter issues as his focus, and I think some meat in the sammy is probably what is the next thing. So, um, you know, that might look like something like tax. Um, That'll be tough with inflation, but maybe looking at those, you know, looking at a tax package that favours those on lower middle incomes, um, maybe things around immigration perhaps. There's there's a range of things you can do as a government, but I think he's going to have to start showing rather than just telling. I want to talk about immigration because yesterday the government announced a visa to get specialist workers into the country to help with the clean-up, the recovery from Cyclone Gabriel. It's expected 
or saying it can get them processed within seven days. Phil O'Reilly, is this a kick in the guts for normal businesses in New Zealand that are actually screaming out for change and are screaming out for help with employment? It's worse than that. This was going to be my brick bat today, so thanks for <laughs> thanks for bringing it up now. But uh, I saw two goes at it. It's cynical politics, this. This is a government that says they're open for immigration, but really aren't. Uh, and they keep on announcing changes to the immigration stuff. So they say, oh, well, we're going to work on nurses coming in. How many nurses came in? N- not many. One. Yeah, that wasn't a the first couple period. dozen, maybe. Yeah. So this is another version of that. Well, we'll have a visa for six months to help with the cleanup. Now, how many people will come, actually? I'll argue, I confidently predict, next to nobody. And the minister even admitted as much. He said, well, we'll have this open for six months, and we've got to work on the basis it's a tough labour market out there, maybe nobody will come. And then the, the people, the officials administering the scheme said, oh, we'll try to administer it really well, but look, there's some other pressures we've got on. So it's just ultimate cynicism. It's not just a kick in the guts for employers, but for the good people of Hawke's Bay and Northland who are screaming out for their houses to be rebuilt, and, uh, and there's no, no talent on the horizon for them. So just, I think it's actually an outrageous policy, and it deserves all of the brickbats I can give it. Um, Neil, Phil's right, isn't he? I, I think with this policy here, this is clearly just about how you deal with the cyclone recovery. And it's about that six-month thing. It's about saying, if you if you take so people in for 12 months or 24 months or permanently, there's a whole lot of checks and bureaucracy required. Six months is easy. They can just go, right, we'll approve it, and you come. And so that's very much the problem they're trying to fix. Look, it may not have much impact. I don't know if that's cynical. I think that's a reality that... There is a tough labour market around the world. I mean, after the Christchurch earthquake, we were sort of the post-GFC. We had a lot of Irish builders came in, for example, because Ireland's construction sector, sector had collapsed. So, you know, it was a different environment, and it is very hard to get people. I do think, though, broadly on immigration, um, the government has done quite a bit to try and free it up, but it's, it's been a bit piecemeal, and I think they probably need to do a big reset where they just say, actually, you know what, we're going we're gonna to open up a lot more, and we're going to encourage people to come here and incentivise it, and also... I think remove some of those processing delays and that might mean resourcing up the immigration department a bit but as much as I hear from businesses that they're struggling to get people it's often just getting through the immigration process that's as much of a challenge. And Phil, business people wouldn't think that I've done anything to help, would no. they? I mean, they're not, you know, the little piecemeal meal things and having an application so you are cleared to be an employee. You go through that whole process. I don't know whether either of you have done that, but I did. And it's a process from hell. It's a whole day's work for right. someone. And, it, and all it does is give you the permission to try and find someone. So then you've got to go through, and, right. and expensive. Then you've got to go through the whole process again. And then you've got to pay them a certain rate that the government determines rather than the market. I mean, it's just, as I say, this is a... This is a government that's ideologically opposed to immigration for whatever reason. Who knows? What is that reason? Please tell me. The, like, give give a, me the reason why. Neil may know more than I, but there's a, it certainly seems to be there's a narrative that says if a migrant comes in, that denies a New Zealander a job. No, no, no. That's actually a misunderstanding of how the labour market works. In fact, what you want is the right migrants coming in to activate jobs for uh, New Zealanders. And while you've got a long, a very long, long-term unemployed queue sitting out there, not going to work, then you, you can't argue, sorry, that those jobs are being lost. I think you've got to say, well, let's activate that long-term unemployed queue, which is which is growing right now, despite the fact everybody's screaming out for skills and talent. And one of the ways of activating that is to have a sensible immigration policy. And I just think it's it's ideologic, it's, it's ideology opposed to immigration. And I think employers have worked that out, and I think it's very unpopular. Now, Neil, you come from the inner sanctum. So can you tell me, I mean, and this is not a cynical question, I just wanted to to, to sit there and know, is there a plan from Labor to stop businesses from growing and getting people that they need to to do jobs? No, I think think the tension is this, right? I think everyone recognises we need immigration in New Zealand. We're a small country, we lack skills in many areas, and we we also lose a lot of people overseas, so we've got to bring people to replace them. 
I think Labor's issue is they want to make sure that immigration is managed properly. And there are two things they're concerned about. One of them is exploitation. So there have been some sectors in the past where um, employers have gone, rather than paying a bit more because there's a tight labour market, they've brought people on, on low wages and exploited them. So that migrant exploitation is a thing, and that's what that sort of minute meeting And we, we understand I, that. I no, we we, we understand and, yeah. and support that, yeah. but that's not the world as it is now. I was going to say, the, the other issue that they face is, is sometimes having the infrastructure. So we've got to invest in infrastructure. And one thing we th- saw in the previous decade was quite a lot of work, micro, uh, migrant worker exploitation and people coming in in very large numbers and not investing in the infrastructure to support that. So that's, I think, where Labor sort of says, hang on a second, we've got to do this properly. I think post-COVID, there was always going to be a real shortage of Labor and there's going to be a need for a bit of a boost. And I think probably just opening the floodgates for a while would actually be really useful for the economy right now. And if you're going to do a longer-term reset, let's just get the economy back and not even keel first. Do you think, once again, I'm asking you because you you will have a better connection than Phil and I will with that in in a sanctum, that they are even looking at doing something like that? Um, Look, I'm sure they they are considering it. I mean, I I don't know for sure, but Chris Hipkins is looking at all the areas where the government has sort of got sectors offside or has maybe got the policy settings wrong. And he's someone who's not afraid to slaughter sacred cows if he needs to. Um, he's already done that in his first sort of policy bonfire. So I wouldn't be surprised if they'd moved somewhere on this. Uh, I've got to go to an ad break, but just quickly before I finish on the subject, Phil O'Reilly, do you think that, that, that Chris understand, Chris Hopkins understands it? He may, but I think he's got a lot of pressure from elsewhere, including Michael Wood, Willie Jackson and the Maori Caucus to say no. So you think that's holding him back? Sure, yep. Do you really? Absolutely, absolutely. The politics of Labor's holding it back. No question. I, I think... I take a slightly different view in that there will be a range of views in caucus, but I think Chris Hipkins, given he's put Labor back into contention, I think he's got a pretty open, pretty blank check right now to do what needs to be done to get Labor back across the line. That's hard to argue with, Phil. Sure. Let's let's hope he gets on with it. (laughs) Right. Let's talk about Slash. Now, we did a big song and dance about Slash, and for listeners, for the first time, if you don't know what Slash is, it's the forestry waste. Is that the way of describing it? Yeah. It's, a, it's the forestry waste after they log the trees and just leave it on the ground. Now, I've got a, something in the back of my mind that says that a certain political party was very for that Slash sitting on the ground, but everyone's trying to run for cover now. Phil, should the forestry companies have to pay the clean-up, and if they don't, should they should we be coming down on them? Uh, they shouldn't have to pay because that's not the way justice works in New Zealand. You don't say to a young kid who's done a ram raid on a dairy, here's the fine, you're going to jail, and by the way, you've got to pay for the dairy. That's not how, that's not how our country works uh, because otherwise it would be really problematic to get any investment here and uh, so on. But the other, it's a, this is a complex issue. It's important to note that much of that slash is, is, is there because it's agreed to be there with the regional council. So... This slash issue, there's plenty of blame to go around. The slash will have been agreed often by the regional council. They will have often audited it as the forestry company's gone through and cut those trees down. They've said, yeah, that's fine. There's scientists who will tell you that slash is there for a reason because it encourages regrowth. And if you take it away, you increase erosion. So to say, oh, this slash is terrible, it's some terrible, nasty company and so on, that's just not quite right. This is a much more complex issue. Now, there will be some companies who've done it wrongly and or poorly or broken the law. They should be fined. Of course, they should. Should we increase fines for non-compliance? Yep, sure, no problem. But what we've got to do is work out what the future is of that farmland because the next issue people say is, oh, we should, uh, we should uh, plant uh, natives there. Sure, yeah, and that's a 100-year concern, and who's going to pay for that? Uh, and then they say, oh, we shouldn't do forestry there. Well, how about the jobs? 
that plenty of jobs on the East Coast and Tarawhiti. One in four. Are, exactly. One so, in four. So this is the essence of a, of a complex issue, and we just need to step back away from the, obviously, the drama and the hurt and the upset. I'm going to, and I absolutely identify with all of that, of course, but to solve it, well, that's just a little more complicated than people try and make But surely out. we should be doing something because we've Absolutely. just seen it. We've seen it. You know, I mean, you've seen it. We've seen it. It's just logs and crap everywhere. I, I agree. No, we should do something. But what we shouldn't be doing is saying the forestry <laughs> companies, it's all theirs. And by the way, they did it wrong and they should be fined. It's smacked around. Actually, it's a little more complex in a system than that. Not trying to defend the forestry guys, but to point out there's plenty of people involved in this. Neil Jones, what's your take? Yeah, look, I, I tend to agree with Phil. It is a complex issue and there's, lot, there's lots of factors involved, but... I think we can all agree there is a health and safety issue here. No I mean, question. In, insofar as there is, you know, we look at the land use and we say if people are growing forest there that shouldn't be there or if there is slash that's being done in a way, left there in a way that is dangerous, we shouldn't allow that. I mean, the same way if there's a factory that every time it flooded they put toxic waste down Lampton Key, we wouldn't accept that. We'd say, look, there might be complex factors, but you're not going to be doing that anymore. So I think that's the first thing, right? And then just make sure that we've got the land use right and those practices are right. Do you think, Phil, that we need to um, bring in um, a cyclone tax? Uh, no. Uh, there's plenty of other reprioritisation of government money that you can do uh, to resolve that issue. Just, I mean, the Nats have raised it, but I, I thought it was a sensible thing to say. You could delay the uh, light rail through Auckland if you wanted to. That would be uh, that would almost uh, that's, that's worth tens of billions of dollars. Government doesn't seem to want to do that. Uh, the other thing about a, a, a tax of this type, and I know it was used by Gillard in the Queensland flood. She put a temporary tax on the top rate. I could even buy that so long as government was doing everything else in their power, like infrastructure bonds, like tolling, like uh, like public-private partnerships to rebuild infrastructure. The fact is they're not doing any of those things, and they're saying, we won't change anything very much, but we'll just tax you some more. And that's why I disagree with it. If it was part of a, of a broader suite of activities and government really was trying to minimise the cost, then maybe, but they're not. So, Neil, what do you take of the idea of a potential cyclone tax? I'm not sure we necessarily need one, and to be fair, the government hasn't said they're going to do one. They're just looking at all options to fund the, the recovery, which I think they should. Yep. Um, but look, at the moment, I don't think debt is our problem. I mean, New Zealand has very low debt by international standards. Um, we have our government spending's back to where it was around after the GFC. So we're not spending too much as a government at the moment, and we're not um, borrowing too much as a country. So I think actually we can borrow money if we need to. We can also reprioritise, as Phil says. There'll be some things the government looks at and says, actually, this isn't a priority right now anymore. Um, and maybe, as part of a package, they might look at revenue, but I'm not sure that's the first thing I'd go to if I was the government. The other thing I'd say is I think the big challenge is actually going to be capacity. There's, there's, you know, there's going to be labour shortage, skill shortage, there's going to be supply chain issues, there's going to be you know, just having enough equipment. So part of the government's challenge is going to be saying which projects are actually more important because if they try and do everything... It's going to be delayed and it's going to push the prices up. So you might say, look, there's a roading upgrade in the South Island, which is probably not as important as building a bridge back in Hawke's Bay. Yes, and putting some families in a home. And try and tell that to good people in the South Island. Uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's always the challenge. But we have, we, well, I agree we, completely with Neil. But that's we right. have, Phil, a problem with housing in New Zealand. This, that's just been exacerbated by what's happened in, in, Gisborne, in Gisborne and, and Hawke's Bay. So how do we fix it? Well, we need to build more houses, but what the what the Hawke's Bay and the Northland thing and the Coromandel thing, by the way, have taught us is we need to be careful about where we build the houses, which is where I think, just to have another swipe, uh, where I think the government and the Nats got it wrong in this, this densification thing. You build three stories anywhere you like. What, including a floodplain that we now know exists, including 
something that's that's uh, subject to inundation from tidal flows? Really? Is that what we're saying now, is it? So I think the government's also got to not just build more houses, but they've got to make sure they're built in the right way in the right place. And I don't see any of that debate going on right now. Hopefully we have it now. Do you think that debate is going on, Neil? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a whole piece of legislation coming around managed retreat and how we you know and how we build, and so I think that's one that feels right. Where there are floodplains, we don't want to build, be building houses there, but I think intensification probably becomes more important in the areas where it's not prone to flooding. We ha- we're seeing that there's a subdivision, a total subdivision. I think 600 houses, if I remember. Don't quote me on that one, but it's an amount that's actually flooded twice in the build in Hawke's Bay, yeah. and it's still going ahead. I mean, this this now needs to be looked at, doesn't it? That's yeah, right. and, and I, I think the government should probably, they probably are already looking at what they can do in the interim because that managed retreat and uh, national bill environment um, bills that are coming through Parliament, that's going to be years before that comes into effect by the time it goes through the system. So we probably need to look at what can we do now as a country to stop people building in silly places in the interim. Yep. Yeah, And will they do that, Phil? <coughs> Let's hope they do. Let's hope. I mean, Luxon's talked about having a, an apolitical view about the decades-long infrastructure build. That's true. Uh, let's hope some good comes of this. I don't. You know, I was just talking to some of the, uh, the CRIs earlier this week about, um, you know, hopefully we'll build better apple trees as we build back there. Hopefully we'll build new sort of new packing facilities and so on to help us in our climate challenge but also help us in our productivity. So some good can come from this, not just in the housing place, but also in manufacturing and, and ag, hopefully. News Talks at B. It's Friday face-off in Wellington mornings. We have Neil Jones and Phil O'Reilly in the studio with us. Phil, I want to start with you on this. At the, at the moment, we have uh, crime going crazy in these flood-stricken areas and seems to be different stories from different people on what's happened. We have road workers that says that people have pulled guns at them, prime minister that says, no, nah, we're all okay, everything's uh, fine and there's no problems. What do you think, or why do you think there's some hesitancy about actually just coming out and saying there is a lot of crime going on? Well, I mean, potentially there's not. I mean, I doubt that. I must say, I thought the police just, Costa just got himself caught up in a a big spiral. He said, oh, we've got less reported crime than normal. Well, that's because nobody's got a mobile phone, Andrew. Let's be clear about that. There's there's no capacity to report because nobody's got the power on, mate. And and of course, even even if technically... There is less reported crime. The crime is so is so uh, dreadful. It's stealing your generator. It's putting a gun in your face. It, that's the stuff. So the thing about crime is the statistics are one thing. The point is how safe do you feel? Uh, that's what the public get concerned about with the crime statistics. And even if you've never had, even if you've never been the victim of a crime, you still feel unsafe if you, there's a crime just over there and, and you didn't see it, but it happened. That's what the government's up against, and that's where... I think the Prime Minister stumbled because he fell back, as, as Jacinda did too a bit, fell back to the statistics. And the statistics in a thing like this don't matter so much as people f- not feeling safe. And that's what's going on in Hawke's Bay. Government needs to respond to that. Police on the ground. Neil Jones, do the police need some special powers in a situation? We're in a state of emergency still. So I always thought that that gave police and army and all that special powers, but in fact it doesn't. Do we need to? Not that I've seen. I mean, again, we've got to be realistic here. There may be more than we know about, but there is no indication there is more crime than normal. Um, as Phil said, people do feel on edge. They feel afraid. It's a very difficult time. And the kinds of crime are often particularly galling when you're in an emergency situation. But, you know, I, I saw last night the Mayor of Gisborne and the head of the Tairafati Police stood up and said, look, there, there isn't actually a crime wave happening here. This is pretty normal, and people need to stop spreading misinformation. I think the point that Chris Hipkins was trying to make, and you know, I think he's he's coming a bit of criticism here for how it landed, but 
you know, his point was there are a lot of unsubstantiated rumours about being reported as fact. And that's been taken by, say, the National Party, for example, to say, oh, every time there's a crime, Hipkins is denying it. Well, he, he's not. But, you know, he's got a role to actually try and calm things. And I just say, if you're going to say the police need more power, the police themselves are saying, well, they've got 145 extra people there. They've got the Eagle helicopter. They're saying things are under control. Unless the police are saying we can't handle this, you can't go and start sending the military out in combat gear or, you know, doing, you know, I think Nationals called for doubling of sentences and acts said, you know, arm the, arm the police and all this kind of stuff. I, I just think we need to be a bit calm and try and rely on facts, even in a very stressful situation. Chris definitely has a problem when the road workers are standing there with a TV camera in front of them saying, yes, I had a gun pointed at me, and he's saying, no, they didn't, though, doesn't he? I, I don't know if he said they didn't have that situation. Yeah, but he, he tried to downplay the, it. And the, say, the one I heard was, he I think he, he talked about where um, there was an allegation that there were, there, were, there were gunshots heard, and it turned out that the police reported actually that was fireworks. So, you know, again, I think that's where he got a bit tripped up, is it's easily framed when you say, look, there's a lot of rumours out there, we've got to be careful, that people think you're saying there's no crime. And you say, well, here's an example. Of course there are examples of crime. The question is, is there this, this crazed outbreak of crime? There's no evidence that's the case, but the government does need to reassure people and needs to let people know that, you know, crimes being followed up, people are being arrested and there are police on the ground. Phil, I want to ask you, because I know that a lot of your business people that you'll be dealing with will be talking about it again. Chris Hipkins has said that's uh, because of the, not because of, but because we've now had flooding, uh, we need water reform and we need the infrastructure, the current infrastructure is failing. And he said patchwork isn't the answer. Uh, we need to move ahead with some sort of, I mean, everyone's refusing to use the word three waters at the moment, some sort of water reform. Is he right? I don't think the floods change much actually around that. I mean, no water system would have handled what happened in Esk Valley. Uh, and in Auckland, massive flooding, even though you've got one of the best funded water uh, authorities in the country there on water care. So if he's using the floods and the weather events of the last few days as justification, I don't agree with that. But I don't think any business person who's who's thought about this would not agree that there needs to be reform of water services. And the idea of creating four or five entities may well be sensible because it gives them different borrowing rights. Where I think, and I don't think this is necessarily a business issue so much as a citizen's issue this, I think where the concern is 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 the way in which the government's gone about that. I mean, you could write a textbook, I think, about how to, how to cr- create poor public policy, and that would be chapter one. I mean... There was, a, there was a real opportunity for the government to engage with New Zealanders about the need for reform. Instead, they said, you're going to die from your drinking water. It's going to poison you. That's not true. That's just not true. Uh, and they said, oh, there's a whole bunch, of, whole bunch of investment we need to make. Well, yes, there is, but that's not quite the case everywhere. I've seen some great investment going on. So instead of having a, a proper debate that could have informed the public and get, I think, to the right outcome, they've done a whole bunch of stuff that I think is the opposite, including the entrenchment debate, which I thought Nanaima Huda should have been fired for. I mean, I mean may she still got a job over that, frankly. I mean, Neil, they have stopped using three waters, haven't they? When's the last time you've heard anyone say three waters? <laughs> yeah, no, and, and look, I think the three waters reform is something, as Phil said, on the on this face of it, obviously there needs to be something done about water, water in New Zealand and our infrastructure. Like, there is, it is uneven. Some councils are doing it well, some are doing it terribly, and we, we clearly have to fix it. But I think the three waters reform has been a textbook example of how not to do a reform program. <laughs> they have totally bungled it. They have not made the case clearly. They've allowed a vacuum that's allowed a bunch of misinformation to come in. And I think they are. I think Chris Hipkins is right, actually, to recognise they've stuffed that up and to send Kieran McAnulty off to do a review and come back with something new. 
probably probably change the name, but that's not going to do it by itself. They're probably going to look at a way to reset that policy a bit and just you know try and dampen down some of that noise and get something sensible people can get behind. Neil, for around a, about a month now, it feels like a month, it's probably longer, we wake up every morning and we wonder whether there's a Cook Strait ferry or how many Cook Strait ferries are going to cross uh, the straits. Now, this is kind of like, um, I don't know, as a Wellingtonian part of our makeup. We've got to get from one island to the other, people, goods, products, everything, and it all goes through the entire island. I grew up with the strikes now, the young are now growing up with broken down ferries. Surely the government should be doing more about this. It's a bit like the buses, isn't it? You can't get a bus to save yourself in this town. Um, and getting worse. And they're, and they're putting the prices up. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah look, I, I, I think probably there is the Minister of Transport could ask some questions about what's going on of Kiwi Rail, who I believe still operate the Inter-Islander. Um, but I also, I, I, saw, I saw an article about this which showed, said that the, through the Inter-Islander arguing about whether they should really have to abide by the Consumer Guarantees Act for people who have incurred costs that they've then had to face because of the cancellations. And I just think that's just wrong. I mean, sometimes for a corporate, you might argue you can wriggle out of the letter of the law, but you've actually got obligations and duties. And I think when you when you promise people you're going to get them from one place to the other, you can't deliver that because you haven't invested properly and you've stuffed up. You've actually got an obligation, I think, to pay their costs. And so I think they should come to the party. And I think they are. I they think are. if you listen to Consumer New Zealand, they, they ha- shouldn't have to. But it's it's worse than that, Phil, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's a government department going wrong. I mean, we can't control what happens with Blue Bridge. It's private ownership and whatever happens there, they live and die by whether their ferries sail. But this is a government department. Yeah, and you look at the new Blue Bridge ferry, Connie Mara, she came in the other day. looks pretty good. She happened to break down. That's a bit of bad luck. But at least at least the private sector companies invest, investing in their infrastructure, right? I mean, good for them. But you, this is a classic of... An SOE that's become politicised, so both sides of politics are to blame here for this ferry problem because uh, it, because it was seen as a bit of a Labour Party thing, Kiwi Rail and the rail network and so on over many, many years. So the Nats you know, didn't like it and starved it of funding. Labour and Winston Peters comes in, get all the rolling stock going and so on. But then Kiwi Rail itself, very, very arrogant. They would, You might recall they were trying to put their rail ferry uh, terminal right in the middle of Wellington Harbour. Right, and they still, they tried it and then backed away and went back to Naronga. Well, you know that's sort of arrogant stuff, isn't it? I and like been, that idea though. No, Sorry. You don't want to put the rail ferry there. You don't want to put cruise there. You want to put I, no, but I want to get the. I want us to go go from the railway station to the South Island back to the railway station. That's fine. Do that, but don't put the ferry. Don't put the rail ferry right in the middle of the, the okay. beautiful port. That's right. my view. Anyway, we might yeah, disagree, yeah. but that's my view. The short point is, then Labor says, okay, we're going to invest all this all this money, uh, and very poorly managed at Kiwi Rail that whole process now. What's the resolution of that? I think the resolution of that's climate change because I think what, what both sides of politics will now understand if, they, if they're anything like sensible is that we actually need a rail network now, even if it doesn't make any money and even if it's going to be a bit held up by the taxpayer, we need it because otherwise we're going to put a lot of trucks on the road and we don't want to do that with climate change. And so this is actually a climate issue, having a good, uh, a good rail system that goes up and down and can carry freight, not necessarily commuter rail, it's a bit harder. But you know that idea of having an effective rail network to take trucks off the road, I think, is, is the resolution. And let's hope we get uh, some sort of political uh, detente over that and we continue to invest properly in Kiwi rail infrastructure. Neil, what's your thought on taking that rail right up? I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, especially Absolutely. get them off the roads. Look, heavy transport is one of the biggest challenges we've got. Transport's one of our biggest cause of emissions. Heavy transport's the hardest because with cars, you can replace them with EVs. There's things you can do. Heavy transport... We, don't, we, we haven't really got that sorted yet. So getting trucks off the road and onto rail is the obvious thing. And so I agree with Phil there. Okay. 
Got to go to Hots and Knots. Friday face-off. Hot and not. Neil Jones, bring your Hots and Knots in. Well, my hot, I don't know if it's hot as such, but I, I saw that Wellington has adopted Wairoa as it's like, as a system. Oh, I didn't know I think, that. I think it's lovely. And the, what it means is the council's going to help coordinate fundraising towards Wairoa. They're going to give them support, logistical support and all that kind of stuff. I think that's fantastic. It made made me feel happy. My, one of my colleagues got stuck in Wairoa during the uh, during the cyclone. Couldn't get hold of him for a week. And so I've heard from him quite a few stories about what was going on there. So any support we can do is great. I think it's a great idea, lovely idea. Second, the, the not, for me it's Maureen Pugh. So I don't know if you saw this week, the National <laughs> MP Maureen Pugh. Not one of their, to be fair, not one of their uh, high Superstars. But um, she was asked about whether she thought climate change was man-made and spent about five minutes sort of dancing around in circles, basically saying, I haven't been shown the proof and and basically denying it. And I just, I just think, you know, look, everyone's on a journey with climate change. We'll all come to it at different times. But for elected officials, your job is to learn these things, to know them. There's lots of reports out there. The evidence is clear. Just we're past debating now whether climate change is caused by humans. The job is to actually fix it. I loved Nicola Willis, his reply. I've got some reading for her to do, and she was pretty stern with it too. <laughs> Phil O'Reilly, what's your hots and knots? I already know one of them, but give it well, to well, us. The, the, the hot for me, I mean, it's, not a, it's the opposite of a local story, but the, today is the first anniversary of Russia's illegal invasion of the yes. Ukraine, of, of Ukraine, so not the Ukraine, Ukraine, it's a country. And uh, I, I still gain a lot of... I'm a, I'm a person who believes in liberal democracy with strong defence forces because I, I read history and I understand the importance of those things. And and you look at what's happened to the Western Alliance and those liberal democracies since Ukraine. They've stepped up. They've got people wanting to join NATO. They're delivering high-quality arms to Ukraine. Uh, and and I, democracies have stood up against this threat. And I, that makes me really proud to be in a Western democracy that's part of that. So, you know, and regrettably, that war's going to go on for years now, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. Oh, but, you think it is? Yeah, I don't think it ends for any time soon. Uh, but, but you know, they've stood up, and that's fantastic. And a year on, we should say, look at that, look what happened. Putin thought we would collapse, and we didn't. We did the opposite. We surprised him, and hopefully we surprised some others who might want to have a go, like like Xi as well, let's hope. That my, my not is is the silly immigration policy from the government where, you know, they're going to let you in for six months, but actually they're not, and nobody will turn up and... The poor buggers in uh, in Hawke's Bay and Northland won't get their houses redone anytime soon, and that's a great, I think, a great human cost to stupid government policy. Frankly, thank you both. I agree, I agree on both those points. Actually, um, Neil Jones and Phil O'Reilly, thanks for coming into the studio and thanks for chewing the fat uh, with uh, for our uh, our Wellington audience. Uh, appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Go the uh, go the black caps. Go, go the black caps. Last we heard was they were two for twenty one. England batting first, debating the good. The bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Friday Face-Off with Quinovic, Wellington's property management experts. Call 0800 Quinovic.